The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Yes, it does. Contessa and Wolf, thank you very much. And live from a snowy NASDAQ market site overlooking New York Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Brian Selden, once again in for Melissa Lee. And your traders on the desk tonight are Pete Nigerian, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinemann, and Steve Grasso. Okay, tonight on Fast, a mega chip rip. Micron shares surging in the after hours. The company reporting what can only be described as a blowout quarter. But is it worth your money still? We'll talk about it. Plus, Tesla rocketing to another new all-time high. So should you ride this rally or break yourself for an uh, electric slide? And later, call it a miracle on 34th Street. We're going to tell you which retailer is spreading a little early holiday cheer. Tough year. Very good holiday for this one name. All right. That's not obviously all that is going on today. So let us begin with the latest developments out of Washington, D.C. We are looking at the live look at the House floor where lawmakers are closing in on a vote to impeach. President Trump, Kayla Tausche has the latest details and the likely timeline for you now. Kayla. Brian, there's roughly two hours left of debate and remarks from party leadership before the House will take up a vote on two articles of impeachment against the President of the United States. We just heard from the two congressmen from Texas just moments ago. Republicans have largely argued that President Trump is falsely accused of wrongdoing by a party who doesn't like him. Democrats have tried to argue that history will be on their side. Just a few moments ago, we heard from Congressman Justin Amash, uh, who left the Republican Party early Earlier this year and may have future presidential ambitions. He is going to be voting for impeachment, and he says that President Trump violated the public trust. On the Senate side, Politico is reporting that White House Counselor Kellyanne Conway today met privately with Senate Republicans to share internal polling data that says impeachment is unpopular and that President Trump should be acquitted on the merits. CNBC has been asking Republican senators about this meeting, but they say they will not comment on private conversations. President Trump, meanwhile, on his way to Battle Creek, Michigan, for a rally tonight. He did not stop to talk to reporters today about what's been transpiring here on Capitol Hill. Brian? All right, Kayla Taushin, D.C. We'll see you again, Kayla. Thank you very much. Okay, so there's some new poll numbers out just now on impeachment. Let's get right to John Harwood, also in Washington, with more on that. Good evening, John. Good evening, Brian. You know, this uh, story has sunk through to the American public, and we've got a new NBC News Wall Street Journal poll that shows it. First of all, uh, only 25 percent of American adults say they think President Trump did nothing wrong uh, on Ukraine. Seventy-five percent, including almost half of Republicans, agree that he did something wrong. However, that does not translate into majority support for impeachment. We see a complete deadlock, 48 percent to 48 percent. 
Uh, each side uh, saying, 48% saying he should be impeached and removed from office, 48% saying no, he should not. Uh, and that is not going to be enough to get a Senate conviction, uh, which Democrats have been hoping for after they pass these impeachment articles tonight. Now, what does it mean for 2020? Uh, this is what's going to be significant uh, when President Trump is on the ballot next year facing a Democratic nominee. Only about 34 percent of the American people say they will definitely vote for President Trump, while 48 percent say they will definitely vote against him. That's minus 14 for the president. Another 18 percentage points say it depends on the Democratic nominee. And that's the uh, fight we're seeing right now between Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. So uh, this story will be an important development to Tonight, impeachment in the House, and then the Senate trial. Uh, but that's not the end of the story, guys. No, it's not, John. And a quick question. Obviously, you got that definitely yes. Then you got the 18% that said, well, it depends on who he's running against. Mm -hmm. Let's shift that 18%. They don't like the candidate. That gives Trump 52, of course, of all that 18% shifted over. How have those numbers, I know you track them all the time, have they changed, if at all, during this formal impeachment process? Not all that much. Uh, what we saw was that uh, in early October, uh, after uh, the news of the Ukraine scandal broke, you had uh, only 43 percent saying the president should be impeached and removed. Forty nine percent were against that. So a plurality against. Then we saw in late October, after some of the news had come out, uh, 49 percent, just about half, saying he should be impeached and removed. Those numbers are essentially unchanged. So support for uh, uh, pushing Trump out through the impeachment process has risen slightly uh, since the uh, uh, controversy over Ukraine began, uh, but it has not broken out in a major way, and you still have pretty uniform uh, Democratic support for it. Republican opposition, 90 percent of Republicans say President Trump should not be impeached and removed from office. That's what he's counting on in the Senate, where there's 53 Republican senators, and as long as he can keep 20 of them from voting with the Democrats, he will finish out his term. All right, John Harwood, thank you very much. We do appreciate that. You know, Karen, listen, let's not make this political at all, but here's the reality. There have been talks about Trump's impeachment since actually before he took office. You know, after he won the election and before he took office, there were super PACs created. There were other motions. Obviously, this has gotten more serious. All that's happened in that time is that the stock market has gone up 50 percent, 70 percent, by the way, if you're the Nasdaq. Why hasn't this cast more of a shadow over equities? Because I think people just view it as a very partisan kind of, I don't know, kind of just a partisan effort that really won't end up in anything real. But what is much more important, I think, is his tax cuts, right? And his view of less regulation is going to be better for the economy. I think that has been the big driver. And I think people don't really care about this. It, relative to the tariffs, that situation is far more important to the market the Fed, far more important to the market. This is just seen as a, a political... Yeah, I mean, you saw, you saw John's numbers, Tim. I mean, 48% said impeach, 48% said didn't. I saw a graphic I tweeted out this morning. 85% of people who say they're Democrats said you got to impeach. 85% of people who said the Republicans said don't. I mean, literally, it's right down the middle, but it plays to the markets because obviously the markets do not market believe. Market down the middle. The, and, well, the market does not believe the president's going to be removed. True or false? True. And, and markets also like anything that's kind of right down the middle or they actually they, they, they like where there's stalemate. They don't like uncertainty. Uh, and as we brought up here, if you look at the S&P, it's up 7.5% since September 24th, which is when the day essentially with formal uh, 
proceedings began. Proceedings were, were being filed. So um, the politics around China and the trade war, I think, are so much more important. And it's very interesting that actually it's a very bipartisan issue in terms of the pushback on China. I think both sides of the aisle wanted to see this. And I think both sides of the aisle are very engaged in this. That's what the market cares about. Market cares about what Karen said, <clears throat> deregulation and tax cuts. And this seems to be the Democrats' solution to a not a worthy candidate thus far. I think they're going for this as a Hail Mary. Market sees it that way. Market loves the policies and doesn't think a Democrat can beat them at this point. There's only two outcomes here, right? I mean, the Senate says, no, we're going to acquit, and things just kind of go on. Or, no way you get or, votes. Or, but let, let's, stranger things have happened. Let's take the other side of it. Because happen. the market needs the price and everything. We can't say around this table that we know what's going to happen. We could shake our head, whatever. But we Shaking don't my head. So let's take the other Let's take <laughs> SMDH. Let's take the other side of that. SMDH. Let's just say that there are defections on the Republicans. Mm-hmm. Worst case scenario. Yeah, you're okay, not he gonna, is removed. Okay. What happens to equities? Oh, the, the equity, equity slide drastically off of that because that's something that they haven't they haven't figured out. Even with if President Pence, even with President Pence, uh, I, I think the equities slide drastically. But you're not going to get 20 votes unless unless Brian, you get something new into the calculus, some new proof, some other yeah, thing. There's some people other that are going to testify. The Democrats are trying to get people up. His the aides. only way you see anything change other than the market drifting higher from here is if you get new information that the market has not calculated already. And yet Karen's exactly right when she started off with the less regulation. We talk about the tax cuts, even some of the whether it's right or wrong, the influence on the Fed. There are all these variables. Right. But the one thing that people love is they love the trade agreement potential, at least the phase one. And then where do we go from there? There's a lot of things, the tax cuts, particularly where people have embraced that, Brian. And that's what that's part of the bulk of why these markets have been moving to the upside. Plus, we've gone through multiple earnings just this year alone where it seemed like. And and how about all the recession talk? Where are all those guys now? I mean, everything has been thrown at this market, and yet we've progressed to the upside. And it's not just one area. It's not just FANG, which everybody embraced a couple of years yeah. ago. It's, it's a broad move, other than energy, which, by the way, the last month or so, energy is making a nice move to the upside. That completely takes over what we see in the unusual option world in terms of people are expecting more out of energy now. And I know it was a lagger. That's the look where oil is. It's up over yes, 60. Thank you, OPEC. Right. That's why we got in a plane and went to Vienna. All right. Let's talk more now about tonight's impeachment vote, the impact on you, the investor, the economy, the agenda with somebody who knows a lot more than we do, which is Chris Campbell. He is chief strategist at Duffin Phelps Institute, longtime D.C. insider. Chris, welcome. Good morning. All right. Afternoon. I know you know a lot of the players that are involved in this. So, yeah, you used to be in a yeah. worldwide exchange. Yeah, exactly. yeah. You can say it's still dark either yeah. way. So it's fine. Here's and, the thing. And you just intro him. He knows a lot more than us. He doesn't even know what time it is. <laughs> That's true. He doesn't even know what time it is. Chris Campbell, Come thanks on. for coming. I anyway, want to hear Chris. So, uh, without getting into the political weeds of this, you heard our sort of analysis. Yeah. Dude, you agree that it's unlikely that this president at the end of this will be removed from office? This president is not going to be removed from office. Period. He will not be removed. End of story. At, end of story. Okay. Uh, unless, unless something literally catastrophic, something that just, I think even if someone comes and testifies, he's still not going to be in office. So something that, like an alien comes down and some stuff. So let's fast forward then about a month, okay? okay? The Senate has completed its trial. They acquit. You wake up the next day. All this process is basically over. The president now has to get th- something going. We've got trade. We've got infrastructure, theoretically. We've got medical device costs. We've got drug pricing. Can anything in that agenda that affects him? investors and the economy get done sure so look at looking at what's happening and how we're going to end the year uh a partial deal on, on china we have a big spending deal 
We have the USMCA getting to yes and the economy doing fairly well. So, I mean, at the, at Washington, for being as broken as is, it's done pretty well at the end of the year. I like that going into next year. Um, next year, Congress is in the big spending deal that they've done, is setting up a health care debate mid-year next year. So that's likely going to be drug pricing. Um, I don't think anything is going to happen. But I, and, and I think Isn't that, that bipartisan enough that something might be able to get happen? Or is there going to be so much even more animosity after this process is done that they just can't even look at each other. Yeah, the difference is that you know, right now it's just naked partisanship, but in a couple months it's going to be Trump versus somebody else. And when that happens, when when it's a when it's a you know when we, when Trump knows his his uh, counterpart or you know his, who's going to run opponent, it's going to be a real challenge. I think it's that's going to be real tribalism in D.C. So, Chris, you talk about what's priced in. I agree with everything you said about impeachment. Talk about what's not priced in, but talk about a fiscal spending deal. Talk about you know to what extent I'm hearing 1.4 trillion. We hear all these different yeah. numbers. Where could it be and and handicap the probabilities and then what sectors benefit well it's like i think that number is about right um and you, there's gonna be a permanent removal of some of the taxes that have been baked in and that congress is going to continue punting so the, the medical device tax the high uh, the mm-hmm. insurance tax the cadillac tax on insurance companies for for uh, union members so the, all of these things it removes certain uncertainty and so i think there's a lot more certainty and certainly in the healthcare industry and in the, in the in sector so i think that's going to be great um and it tees up a conversation on infrastructure and it tees up a lot of a conversation on a broader health care challenges that we have in the country, which is a huge issue for the president. When you talk about health care and, and some of the issues going forward, does that mean that you would prefer, if you are there, uh, if somebody is there, they should maybe start to slide out of that sort of sector right now in terms of some of the volatility that might come in? I, I, I don't think so. No. I see, no, I don't. I think it's uh, I think, I think we're Next year, I think, look, I think it's steady state. So the Fed is not going to change interest rates next year, likely. I think that, they were, that we're pretty much know we're going to be on regulations. The, the, the administration is deregulating. Mm-hmm. Um, and taxes are going to be the same steady state. I, and I think there's going to be, you know, markets going to be chasing some headlines as, the, as politics unfold. But at the end of the day, I can't see anything significantly happening that's going to be negative to the economy. So I, um, I, I, like, I like that we enter next year. Is there a chance that between the Tea Party on the Republican side and, and Democrats who are just very partisan that they won't allow any kind of spending bill to move forward? It's so it big enough unlikely. To- it's so highly unlikely. It's, it, this, at this time, typically when we get this close to the end of the year, the, the uh, leaders on both sides come together and this, the deal is, is pretty much uh, done. I meant infrastructure, something like that. Oh, infrastructure. Oh, something lar- a larger deal like that? Absolutely, yeah. I think that's going to be very difficult. Um, I think that's something I can I think, and I'm advising our clients, that that's something I would see pro- perhaps after the election. So I, you know, I, I think it'll tee up a conversation next year, what an infrastructure package may look like. It's always been a challenge. I've put together so many of these deals. It's always been a challenge. Challenge is not where to spend money, but how to spend, where, to, where to raise the money. Yeah, and there are vulnerable House Democrats, too. we got to remember that. So they're going to want to play ball maybe a little bit. Chris Campbell, Duff and Phelps Institute. Thank you very much, Chris. Great insight. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Coming up, shares of Micron. They are popping after hours after a blowout quarter. We're going to break down the numbers and find out what they might mean for the rest of the red-hot chip sector. And later, in case you haven't noticed, there's a record rally going on in the stock market. But no one told this one mega-cap stock. Huh. What is that mystery chart? Why is it not participating? What's wrong with it? Let's see. We'll talk about it. We are live from New York's Times Square in New York City. Much more fast money coming up.
Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently, and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We have got an earnings alert on Micron, the stock hitting new highs after hours after the company's conference call gets underway. A nice spike, about 4.5%. So let's find out why and get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Josh. So, Brian, you know, that stock had already surged nearly 70% heading into that print. And you guys just mentioned uh, trucking higher here in the after hours. For a quick take from the street, I caught up with RBC's Mitch Steves. He's a Micron bull. A very good report in his words. Uh, importantly, with Micron calling the bottom and guidance suggests margins moving higher as well, he noted. So that means inventory levels likely normalizing. CEO Sanjay Marotra on the call talking about the company's financial outlook. Take a listen. Recent trends in our business give us optimism that our fiscal second quarter will mark the bottom for our financial performance, which we expect to start improving in our fiscal third quarter with continued recovery in the second half of calendar 2020. Now, Sanjay Marocha, then Brian ticked off the market segment, sounding pretty confident here. SSDs or flash drives talked about uh, supply shortages and improving pricing trends in mobile, said he was confident that 5G will be a positive for his company, that Micron re- remains well positioned in that market. Uh, Data Center said strong demand from cloud customers, that cloud capex is healthy, and obviously says a meaningful part of that goes to memory and storage. PC market there, he was a bit more cautious on the near term, uh, no surprise due to the CPU shortages we've been hearing about. And automotive, finally, yes, sluggish sales in the industry, but Micron saw revenue growth quarter over quarter. Finally, um, business with Huawei. Remember, that's an important Micron customer. Uh, They are still shipping some products despite the blacklist. And he did note they did apply and receive licenses, enabling him to provide support for some new products as well. Brian, back to you. All right, Josh. Something, Josh. Thank you very much. Pete Najarian, you own it. You got to like the quarter, but are you going to sell into the strength? No, but I'm going to sell calls against it probably tomorrow. But John was talking about today. He was talking about some of the unusual option activity in there. They're buying the 56s, so we'll see what happens to those tomorrow because they're going to expire very soon. So what I liked about hearing on the call, Brian, is some of the projections going forward that are we bottoming? I don't know that we positively are, but they're talking about pricing. They're talking about inventories. We're talking about NAND and DRAM. So there's a lot of things working in their favor. Plus, I like the data centers. I mean, that's one of the bigger focuses I've had when looking at Micron is, okay, they're feeding into what? And the memory is going to where? And you look at the data centers, that's where the growth is. That's where when we, when we look to the intels of the world and some of the others, that's where we're, I think, all looking. So there's a lot of reasons. Plus, it still trades very inexpensively. Yes, it's made an incredible move this year. I think maybe it slows down from here, though, Brian, for a while, maybe pauses, and then maybe the next move to the upside. That's why it's so Unbelievable call on your part, because DRAM and NAND have done nothing but decline for two years, and uh, 63% of revenues for Micron are derived from DRAM. Yeah. So that's an amazing call. And it, it was more of a supply-demand. It's a, commod- a commoditized trade. It was more about trade getting better and seeing the stock rally mm-hmm. from there. But a- NVIDIA... Up yeah. 70%. Talk about the connected home, the connected car, SMHs, the ETF for semis, up 62%. 
So obviously this trade is probably giving you a little something for Christmas. But it's a little different, though, Tim. We talked about it last night. I mean, Micron, they won't like this. They're kind of an oil company in a way, in a sense that DRAM is a commodity. Right. And is, you are such at the whim of the global commodity of true. DRAM pricing structure. It, thus, it's the ultimate cyclical. But it does have a case where, as we talked about also, that you have a supply response after you've actually seen a, a, a slowdown. You've got a case here also going into the lead time. We're not talking about in the next six months. We're talking about end 2020 into 2021. You've got 5G. That's what this is. That's where the bottom, and they're calling the bottom. Uh, that's very interesting. For them to be out there with the vision they have on this industry saying, I'm calling a bottom Big right call. here, yeah. very powerful. I agree. That is huge. I mean, if you think about it, look where the stock's gone. In the last two weeks, the bar has just gotten higher and higher, and yet this was good enough, and it was excellent. So this is good enough to jump over the bar and have the stock up nicely. Yeah. That call at the bottom is big. A lot of investors are going to be at the bar celebrating after this kind of yeah. How are you doing? Yeah. 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 How are you doing? For more on Micron's Big Quarter, head over to our website, CNBC.com. But right here on the television, here's what's up next. Markets may be at new records, but one strategist sees some big warning signs ahead. Could we be in for a repeat of the dot-com bust? And later, all eyes on Nike earnings after the bell tomorrow. We break down what the options market sees for that report. We've got that and more when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. It is the record rally that just keeps on running. Stocks touching new all-time highs again today. But our next guest says you should probably enjoy the good times while they last because they won't. Let's bring in North Band traders Sven (laughs) Henrik, who stayed up late for us overseas, Sven. And we do appreciate it. I mean, you and I have talked (laughs) a lot about this on Worldwide Exchange and other programs. This is the market that, whether you want to call it the Fed steroid or whatever it might be, just won't quit. Anything in the charts that you see that indicate to you this thing is about ready to roll over? Not that, well, my, my charts are actually on, on massive sell, but the liquidity momentum is extremely strong. And, you know, it's like the Fed has been playing secret Santa all year, <laughs> long handing out gifts of asset price inflation. And, you know, the, the, the big issue for me is what I, what I see here in, in the macro context, first of all, is to say that 2019 has been a revelation. Uh, central banks cannot extract themselves from the monetary easing monstrosity they've created. 2018 was the only year since the financial crisis where central banks actually reduced liquidity on a net basis and it immediately blew up in everybody's face. And so the solution in 2019 was go right back into adding liquidity with obviously 
global rate cuts everywhere and then the addition of QE and not QE by the Fed it, itself. So we're, we're basically stuck. We're, we're exiting this decade the same way we entered it, kicking and screaming with trillion-dollar deficits, massive central bank intervention, low to negative rates, and absolutely no iota of vision on how we're ever going to raise rates again or reduce balance sheets because they're all going into 2020 just pressing the pedal to the metal. So the question is, what's the end game here ultimately? And, and what we see is there's no bull market without central bank intervention. And that's, the, I think, the big challenge for the, for the next decade. But, but, the there, but there is central bank intervention, so I, I assume the bull market could keep going. I mean, it's hard to believe, Sven, but 20 years ago, I was in this building reporting on sort of the NASDAQ boom and the internet boom. Is there anything, when you look at the charts, and I don't, I'm not trying to spook anybody here, but when you look in the charts, is there anything technically or in the policy construct or whatever that resembles 99 well, actually, you know, this is really interesting what's happening this year. Keep in mind when, when the Fed, we have to divide the year into two parts, the first nine months and the last three months. The first nine months was all about, you know, ending the, the quantitative tightening and then it became about rate cuts and the, cut, uh, uh, the Fed cut rates three times 75 basis points. But then everything changed in October when the Fed was forced to respond to the overnight rate issue, the, the repo crisis in September. And basically in October, the Fed went wild. They're adding balance sheet and liquidity at a rate we've not seen since the 2009 crisis. So basically acting like there's a big crisis on, underneath. And what's happening with all this liquidity, it's, it's accelerated markets higher and brought a lot, a lot of sectors that were struggling beforehand. And what's really interesting here is that this is kind of the same construct that we saw in 1999. Remember, in 1998, we had a 20% correction. The Fed cut 75 basis points. We had the big rally in 1999, but it didn't really kick off until, until Alan Greenspan came in late in the year of 1999 and added a bunch of liquidity in anticipation of the Y2K crisis. And that lifted markets up dramatically and then ended up topping in, in, in March so, of, of 2000. So, so to Sven, the extent that all this liquidity that is added here is artificial and has yeah. to be pulled back, Markets may be overshooting here. Really quick, though, is this inflation or, or are we having reflation trade or are we having ultimately setting up for deflation? Sounds to me uh, like a bubble that bursts that still gets us back to deflation, even though oil's going higher, copper's going higher, et cetera. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I'm looking at some big structural charts like gold has a big bull flag on it, but TLT has a bull flag on it. And if you look at the, uh, actually the, the rate action here in, in Q4, it hasn't confirmed this rally at all. It was actually the 10 years more in, in, a, in a bear flag. So we've yet to see the reinflation evidence in, in terms of the bond market. Interesting. Sven Henrik, Northman Trader. Sven, we have pre listen, it, it's been, you, you've been strong and on this market. I know it's been a tough market if you've been short, but uh, you've, you've come out and you've been honest about the calls and, and where you feel about it. So Sven Henrik, we do appreciate you coming on. Thanks for staying late. Overseas, we'll see you again. Appreciate that. Thanks, Brian. You know, and listen, and guys, I think Sven takes some heat because he'll say, I'm negative, I'm negative, I'm negative, and the market has gone up. But what he's saying is, if and when the Fed ever pulls back, he's right. that this market is going to that sink. Happened in 2018. But that happened exact, That's exactly right. And, and his point that central banks tried to do that in 2018 and it led to 2019 is a, is a scary tale. It's a, it's a cautionary tale because eventually we are going to get back where we have to remove that liquidity. It is, it is uh, interesting that when you start to see what, what everyone's judging just on 
rates and rates alone. You start to look at balance sheets where QT was in effect the, the same result as raising rates at every meeting. And now QE, yep. adding it, is the same result as cutting. So they're not doing anything to rates, yeah. but they're actually cutting rates by proxy through through their QE. Yeah, you know, people people come up, they probably come up to you guys all the time and they say, hey, why isn't impeachment affecting the market? You know why? Because impeachment, whoever's in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, can't compete with a trillion dollars in central bank liquidity. All right, up next, Facebook has struggled over the past year to reclaim those all-time highs. But your next guest thinks that's about to change. We're going to find out why in two minutes. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks may be sitting at record highs from an index level, but one hot tech name has been cooling off a bit lately. It's called Amazon. It's been underperforming the broader market. So what exactly may be going on here? Deirdre Bosa is live in San Francisco. Hopefully, do you have answers for us, Deirdre Bosa? I will try, but you know what? A 20% return year to date. That's nothing to scoff at, Brian, but this is Amazon. It's one of the most expensive stocks in tech in terms of its PE ratio, according to a number of other measures, too. And it is on track to underperform the S&P this year for the first time since 2014. So what gives is that Amazon started 2019 by telling us it would be an investment year. It's since upped its grocery offerings, expanded its ad business, and its most costly initiative, one-day shipping, all of that is supposed to put the company on track for future outperformance. Now, Wall Street isn't phased by Amazon's relatively lackluster year. The company is on J.P. Morgan's and Cohen's list of best ideas next year. And not a single one of the nearly 50 analysts that cover Amazon, according to FactSet, have a sell rating on the company. Except, guys, this time could be different. Amazon is facing new risks and cracks are starting to show as it heads into a new decade. They include declining dominance in e-commerce and cloud, rising omnichannel competition, antitrust concerns, an uncertain regulatory environment in an election year. There's also growing concerns about the safety and quality of its marketplace. So yes, guys, Amazon has been one of the past decade's most rewarding bets, but it's far from guaranteed that it can do it all over again over the next 10 years. Back to you. All right, Deirdre Bosa in San Francisco. Deirdre, thank you very much. So, Steve Grasso, you've been a bit negative on Amazon. So whenever he tells you, as Deirdre just started this uh, section off, uh, as Bezos told you, it was going to be an investment year. You have to run for the hills when it's an investment year. Granted, 18%, as Deirdre said, great return for any other year. But when you look at AWS, that's the growth engine. It counts for 56% of the operating income. That's where you want to see the growth that they can invest in everything else. That's been declining from 56% down to 35%. Now, Microsoft's cloud business has been declining as well, but with Amazon, there's no guarantee that all this investment is going to pay off. Walmart, Walmart has been knocking the cover off the ball. And Amazon, if AWS doesn't grow or if it declines, decelerates, the stock's going down. So I think the question we're asking is, at what point does valuation really matter for Amazon? Because we all know it didn't for a long time. I, you know, I it never the, has. Right. That's why I'm asking the question, Brian. And you have a case here where if you think about what's going on for the last six months, and it's underperformed the S&P by 17% since July, um, you have a case where, uh, as we've seen, other folks are, are certainly developing their online business. DTC is working. But also, they have to continue to reinvest in infrastructure and logistics and procurement to stay ahead of the competition. And right now, uh, that's maybe a losing game. I'm a guy who's not really ever been in Amazon, quite frankly, and for the same reason. Why would I pick Amazon over Microsoft? 
I don't understand what, what, what makes me pick Amazon over Microsoft. I look at the two names. They're totally different I, companies. No, they're not. See, that's the, that's the misnomer. Everybody says that. That's really not true. You know what Amazon is? It is true. Amazon is a cloud company. They're AWS. Yes, that's, that's who Amazon is. So is Azure. Okay. And but Microsoft is an enterprise so, company so that sells the com- corporations. And, why and Amazon put- is a... Is a consumer company, and so why has Microsoft uh, Microsoft, Microsoft. outperformed <laughs> them year after year recently? As they Satya Nadella came in, he put in what they were going to do. They were going for cloud. That's exactly what they shifted to. Right, that was the transition. He was the right guy yep. at the right I'm time. I'm not knocking. And he's no, done an amazing job. But, but I'm not knocking. Microsoft. Right, but for I'm me, why do Brian have to pick one? Why do I no, want to have rather... one that trades in an 80 times multiple or more versus one that's trading in a 30? times or less, quite frankly, and has growth and is probably eating away at what Amazon has right now. AWS is too expensive. I think there's one other thing maybe going on, which is, you know, Jeff Bezos is seen as an enemy of the president, right? And I can't help but think, right, we've seen other companies uh, that have FTC investigation. Alphabet doesn't matter, trading at an all-time high. Facebook, near an all-time high. This isn't, and we saw AWS had that uh, the, the, the Pentagon contract reversed, lost it to Microsoft after they had won it. I can't help but think this is weighing a little bit on the stock as well. Hmm. Well, I, I, back to, let me try to bridge kind of Brian and Pete. I don't, I don't know, know if there's a bridge. We're seeing a bridge too far. Yeah, it's a bridge way too far. But there's no question that, that Amazon's multiple is, is as much a function or has been in the last couple of years of AWS. And, and the growth rate at AWS um, is, has been slowing. And there's enormous competition in cloud. Enormous. Uh, look at Google's place. Look at, look at everyone else that's coming through. So IBM with th- that, yeah, that, that is a case where you can look at the competitive landscape and say that the trigger to that multiple, maybe some of the best days are behind it. Is there a new Amazon out there anywhere? I don't think there has to be a new Amazon. It's, you know what I mean? It's an gotta, exciting well, well, tech story that's well, just going to boom. It doesn't have to be an exci- exciting tech story. Walmart is really eating their lunch in a lot of ways because the growth in, on online has been astronomical. So it doesn't have to be one new Amazon. It just has to be six of the competitors start to eat away and take back market share. But to Pete's point, this is a cloud story. That's where the multiple came from. Yes. To Tim's point, and that story is decelerating. It's not only decelerating for Amazon, it's decelerating for all these space. I think Karen nailed it, though. Enemy of the president, you know, I wrote an article two years ago that said I thought that Amazon could be an antitrust target. There's always kind of that stuff hanging over there, is there not? There's a lot hanging over there. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. All right. So prescient. No, hasn't been right. (laughs) Amazon may be stuck in the mud, but our next guest says there is one fang name that is headed for a big breakout. Let's go off the charts and go into the charts with Chris Ferron of Strategus over at the Plasma. Chris. Hey, Brian. Well, let's start with broader tech. And what I think is just so remarkable, despite all these signs that value is coming back, growth is still pretty good. We'll start with the triple Qs. Let's remember, we spent 18 months in a range. It's only the last six weeks that tech actually broke out here. So I think the question is, is this move too far too fast? Is tech overdone? Right now, you have tech about 10%, the Q's about 10% above their 200-day. Historically, you get extremes closer to 20%, as we saw five or six times during the last 10 years. So we think there's room here before tech is overbought. So how do we want to play continued strength in this group? Uh, I think one of our favorites is Facebook. This is another name that has spent the better part of the last now two years in this big range. But what's, ha- what's changed recently? Every time we check back to the 200-day moving average, support holds. 
The 50 held last week on bad news. The name has been so resilient despite bad headlines. I think higher here, getting above 205 as a breakout, look for 250 in 2020. If you take a look at the longer term setup, this drawdown that we saw on Facebook last year, this is down 45%. That's a good bear market. It was the biggest drawdown since the IPO. So if you're looking for a bear market here, you missed it. It already happened. I think the next major move in Facebook is up. I'm going to give you one more name, perhaps a little less known in this tech space. This is Splunk, just starting to improve. I think really interesting, the last couple weeks, big breakout, big acceleration on big volume. The stock is being accumulated here. We finally just got back above this 148, 150 area. I think next major move here is up. So, yes, there are signs that maybe value is coming back, but it doesn't mean all growth stocks are bad. I think the triple Qs have more to go, and I think Facebook and Splunk are two ways to play it. All right, Facebook and Splunk. Chris, why don't you join Bring us back over. here? At yeah, the- come, come on over. Bring it over. Come on. Don't now. be afraid. Come on now. Anybody here owns Splunk? Always great to see you. Mm. Yeah. No. Got any no. Splunkers? No Splunk here. No Spelunky. No, no. Spelunky. Facebook, yes. Splunk, no. Why, what, Facebook. Why Facebook? With, no, I said Facebook. <laughs> you must agree with Chris. I absolutely agree with Chris. I, I think there's plenty. I, I think that there are so many different verticals that they have yeah. that continue to develop that this is a story. You ask about a story of what's the next Amazon. Maybe it's Facebook because everybody thought it was Facebook. Well, no, maybe it's Instagram. Oh, it's WhatsApp. Eh, it's Messenger. Well, they AI. All, all these other things are coming in and obviously Instagram. So there's a lot of different reasons why right now Facebook is just at the beginning. And look at their growth. And look at, look at the PE on this company versus an Amazon. It's, it's not even close. The cash that they're generating, so, yes, I'm bullish but, on it. But the PE on Facebook has, has been, you know, basically mm-hmm. compressing for, for years. And, and right. I don't, you know, look, my view on that is That's I a think good it's, thing, though, right? Well, I don't know. I think this should be trading. I mean, you want to see a company re-rate. You want to see a multiple expansion. And wh- how would you get that? You'd get that from a management team that I think you really feel understands, you know, the core part of their business. I think this management team, you have to give them tons of credit for where they've gotten to. But I think a lot of people question whether they really know how to value their business, but that the big risks in Facebook are really, you know, the cost of, of securitization of those sure. assets. You know, Tim, we talked about this last week. We were on when the news hit that DOJ was reinvestigating, right? How resilient is this chart that it absorbs that a week later yeah, you're about to make a all. new high, right? What is more bullish than something that doesn't go down on bad news? Yes. Right? This has been Exhibit A really all year. There's been multiple times that they tried to sell it and they couldn't keep it down. I think up is the next move. And just think more broadly. We need to retire the acronym FANG because they're all moving in different directions, right? Facebook strong, Alphabet strong, Netflix, Amazon, not so much, right? So this is no longer an asset class. These are individual names, and I think Facebook is going to be the best one. All right, Chris Frone, good stuff. Thank you. Facebook, appreciate that. All right, coming up, look at that. Tesla, all you Teslarians out there, (laughs) that stock, a new all-time high. But is this record rally about maybe to run out of juice on Tesla? We'll debate it. We'll talk about it. Send us all your wonderful comments on the Twitter. We're back after this. All right, welcome back. You're looking live at the House floor in Congress. Lawmakers are getting closer to a vote on impeachment. Let's get back now to Kayla Tausche live on Capitol Hill with where things stand at this hour. Kayla. 
Brian, there's a little bit more than an hour left in debate on the House floor. The arguments have taken on a highly partisan nature, which just reflects the views of both sides of the aisle on this proceeding. Democrats continue to argue that it is their duty to impeach a leader who uses the office for personal political gain. Republicans continue to say the facts do not stack against President Trump and that Democrats have wanted to do this since he took office. Here's Florida Congressman and White House ally Matt Gates earlier. Democrats may not have known why they were going to impeach the president, but they knew it was an inevitability. Facts be damned. This impeachment isn't legitimate. It's the radical left's insurance policy. But we have an insurance policy, too. It's the next election, and we intend to win it. That effort is underway as we speak. President Trump set to take the stage at a rally in Battle Creek, Michigan at 7 p.m. Brian, this could match to the minute the time that those articles of impeachment are brought to the floor to an actual vote, which certainly would be interesting counter-programming if that were to happen. In the meantime, the number two House Democrat, Steny Hoyer, is now telling reporters that there will be a discussion on whether to delay actually sending those articles of impeachment once they are voted on over to the Senate in an effort to try to shape what the trial looks like in the other chamber. Brian? Kayla, is there any chance we don't get a vote in the House tonight? It is unlikely at this point. We are still expecting that to happen at some point between 7 and 7.30 p.m., and we do expect to hear from leadership after that. But we're looking at, what, mid-January, maybe, for the Senate side? We know that the Senate has blocked out the entire month of January for a potential trial, so where exactly that would start uh, really depends at this time. All right, Kayla Tausche. Kayla, thank you very much. Glad you're there. All right, let's switch gears and get back to what we do here in CNBC, and that is talk about stocks and Tesla hitting a fresh all-time high today. Tesla now up 18% on the year. Not great, but hey, not down. Helping fuel the rally today, new reports that Tesla could cut Model 3 prices in China. Stock has not hit an all-time high since 2017. So, Steve Grasso, Mm, mm, uh, mm. has Tesla finally turned... A real corner, so long the short, term. Short interest in Tesla is still 20%. And this was, a, this was a stock that people were worried about it going out of business. They were worried about debt. They were worried about the balance sheet in this name. Last time I was on, Pete was on as well. We talked about the 327 level in the name. It had to hold that level. It did, and it ran about 10% from that level. And now when you start to look at these overshoot levels, it gets stupid. It's, it's, it's mid to high 400s on these Fibonacci overshoot levels, which is pretty interesting. Can I ask a question? If you're having trouble selling car, making cars for the price you say you're going to sell them at, why are you cutting prices in China also? I mean, you, so, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm negative on the stock, so my view is that this is not necessarily great news and that this is a dynamic where the fundamentals here are not lining up. The, the key is waiting to see where that balance sheet is, where the free cash flow is in the next quarter. Because what they did last quarter was an aberration and an outlier to what we'd known about the balance You know, there's something else that we talk about politics. They're talking about in the spending bill eliminating the electric car tax credit. And I get that Tesla's already pretty much gotten to the point where they're not going to be helped by it because the buyer, they've sold so many. But what you want, if you own Tesla, I assume, is for the entire infrastructure to do well. You know, you want the other players. They build out the charging stations. You know, if you buy a car, EV play for sure. You know, it's definitely a bad look for EVs with what Congress is trying to do. All right, coming up with Christmas literally one week away, we're going to wrap a pair of big retail trades. Why are these two names spreading the holiday cheer? We are live as always at the Nasdaq. We're back after this.
All right. If you have not completed or maybe not even started your Christmas shopping, I just want you to get, you know, wow, I had it right now. Brian. Six days, six hours, six minutes, six, six, six left for Christmas. There we go. But for one retailer, Christmas has come early. We're talking Macy's, the stock jumping today. It is now up nearly 10% to begin the week. Karen, you did some digging and you found something really interesting Macy's debt chart that could be a gift. For Macy's investors. What is it? Right. So I always think debt investors are smarter than equity investors. And equity investors are really scared. The stock trades at six and a half times earnings. It trades at a yield of nine and change. But something interesting happening in the debt, which was Macy's on December 3rd, which was close to the bottom of the stock, announced they were going to repurchase some of their debt. So they felt comfortable enough that their debt was a good investment for them and they had plenty of cash to do it. Today, they announced the result of that tender, and they upsized it. So instead of buying $450 million back, they bought $525 million. So they're feeling pretty good. This is helping the balance sheet. And I think that's starting to maybe be a little bit reflected in the stock. Even with the rally today, these metrics are telling you people are really concerned about Macy's equities. But I think maybe the debt knows something that the equity hasn't yet caught on to. Mm. Every time you've seen this stock move in the last couple of years, the catalyst has been the balance sheet. Karen's absolutely right. People have been concerned. Can they pay the div? Can they not? Um, I think that's largely irrelevant, even though people at times have made that to be part of the story. We're very clear on this show. We're not buying stocks for dividends largely. I don't want to speak for Pete. But, um, but, but never I think this, been my the, story, the story with Macy's is you get to 2.5, 2.8 net debt. That's a good ratio. And good. I think people want to see it. Good stuff. Debt. Investors smarter than equity investors. This is an equity investor show. All right, let's start another retail stock and talk about it. Nike hitting an all-time high for the second straight day. The sportswear giant up 35% this year as it heads into tomorrow's earnings report. Options traders are betting that Nike could run even more. Let's find out why with Mike Coe, who is out in San Francisco with the options action. Mike. Yeah, you can barely see San Francisco behind me. All you get is the city's fog. But for Nike, it's interesting going into earnings. We saw about two times the average daily options volume in Nike today. And it's implying a move of about 4.3% after they report. That's in line with the 4.2% that they've averaged over the past eight quarters. The most active buying activity was taking place in the January 100 calls. Over 3,500 of those traded for about $3. So buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the stock will rally above the $100 strike price by at least the premium they paid. That means the break-even would be 103 in this case. And one can understand why they might be making bullish bets using options, because the stock obviously has doubled since mid-2017, and a lot of that price growth has come from multiple growth, which is now trading about 37 times earnings. In the same period of time, the S&P hasn't seen valuations grow that much. All right, Mike Coe, thank you very much. Watch out for that fog, Mike. Wow. All careful, right, for more careful. options action, be sure to catch the full show Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Up next, your final trades. All right, time for your final trades quickly. Pete, going into energy. Target Resources, giddy up. Ooh, had some wow. call buying. Tim? Yeah. Well, big cap tech. Stay with the G in Fang, Google. All right, Karen? Yeah, I like Chris's chart, but I like the fundamentals here, too. Facebook. Oh, dog. Me? Yeah. Avis, Avis budget, ticker cinema, C-A-R. Nothing but negative headlines and up 40% in the last couple months. Buy it. That's all right. Good call. stuff there. All new names. We do appreciate that. By the way, thanks for watching, everybody. Of course, the impeachment vote is going on right now. But Jim has got all your market stuff of mad money, which begins right now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Jim! 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.